The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 28 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 26, The Voice of the Wasp. This week, our issue is written by Stan Lee, pencils by Don Heck, inks by Frank Ray, a newcomer, and letters by Sam Rosen, and it comes to us in March of 1966. To begin with, I'm lukewarm on the cover. Again, we have an all-white background. Now, I think this works better than it did on issue number 24 because Atuma and Wasp in the center here help fill out the space a little more. It feels less empty, but I'm still not overly keen on the white background. Quicksilver is doing something pretty awkward down here on the bottom, and Atuma kind of looks like he's melting a little bit, just the way he's inked. Now, as opening splash pages go, this one's kind of unimpressive. It's not bad by any stretch. We've got some very Kirby-esque machines going on in the foreground. But generally speaking, we've seen much better splash pages, especially from Don Heck. I'm not overly impressed throughout the entire issue by Frank Ray's inking. But our issue starts with the Avengers having a short meeting to discuss their method of transferring messages to one another. Apparently up until now, they've been using these old secret cartridges. Tony Stark has provided the Avengers with a new method in which they can record a voice message to one another that's only accessible by people who know the access code. So right off the bat, Hawkeye starts questioning why we even have a new method. Cap kind of halfway answers his question, saying that they need a more secure method. I think it would have been nice if Cap had been able to elaborate a little bit more, maybe provide some amplifying information. Otherwise, it really just seems like you're kind of blowing Hawkeye off, which is exactly what Hawkeye seems to feel. So Hawkeye just starts kind of screwing around, very much being a petulant childlike character at the moment. He's kind of messing around on Cap's exercise equipment and whatnot, not really paying attention to what's going on. I really like this part because by the end of the issue, this will come back to bite Hawkeye pretty good. It's one of those moments where the book choreographs exactly what it's going to do very, very well. It's very obvious that this new communication method is going to play an important role in the book and that Hawkeye's failure to pay attention to how to use it is going to come back and bite him. So at the end of the book, when it does, it's such a satisfying moment because the book just lays it all out in front of you and you know it's coming. And when it finally does, it's that relief. It's that expected resolution. So while Hawkeye is screwing around, Quicksilver gets fed up with his petulance and Quicksilver comes after him. He takes a swing at him and then the two of them begin to spar, begin to face off with one another, which is something we haven't seen in a little while. I'm kind of enjoying it. It's also a little out of character for Quicksilver at this point in time because he's very much made an effort to keep himself kind of above the fray. Typically, the fights are between Captain America and Hawkeye, and every so often Hawkeye and Quicksilver will get into it. But for the most part, Quicksilver's really endeavored to demonstrate that he is worthy of becoming the leader of the Avengers, so he's tended to not get into these kinds of fights. Given Hawkeye's particular skill set, the fight escalates fairly quickly. 
Although Hawkeye initially only kind of grazes Quicksilver and catches the corner of his uniform, it's obvious that if this keeps up, it's not going to end well. So Captain America steps in the middle. He actually forces Hawkeye and Quicksilver to stop and shake hands on it. But that still doesn't end it for Hawkeye. He and Cap continue to butt heads and Cap really kind of tells them off. Cap says, the Avengers got along pretty well without you in the past and they can do it again if they have to. It's interesting that Captain America chooses to chide Hawkeye significantly more than Quicksilver because basically Cap doesn't say anything to Quicksilver. Though I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that A, Hawkeye really kind of started this with his very childish attitude towards things. And B, it's the constant back and forth with Cap and Hawkeye. Quicksilver has really only come into conflict with Captain America when Captain America has been short with Scarlet Witch. Again, that fits Quicksilver's character in coming to defense of his sister. But otherwise, with Captain America, he doesn't seem to instigate, whereas Hawkeye is constantly instigating. Now, for a moment here, we're going to step away from our active Avengers roster, and we are going to catch up a little bit with Janet Van Dyne and Hank Pym, otherwise known as Wasp and Giant Man. At this point, Wasp and Giant Man have actually lost their own book. Originally, they had Tales to Astonish all to their own, and then they began to split it with Hulk, and then they were actually replaced by Submariner in the book. So for a little while now, they have been without a book of their own, and they've apparently been off on a ship doing some exploration. Now this ship is stranded, and it's up to Wasp to go get help. Hank Pym decides to stay on the ship. Janet's going to fly her way to New York and get some help. Along the way, since it's a a nice long distance to shore and Janet can only fly in her wasp form, so in a much smaller form, it's going to take her a little while and she's got a rest in between. She decides to just kind of float along and let the ocean currents take her, hopefully toward shore, but just take her along while she rests for a little while before she starts flying again. As she does, she is suddenly enveloped by a giant bubble and pulled underwater to what is a really cool-looking submarine. I have quite the affinity for submarines, and when you give me a really cool science fiction-y submarine like this one, mmm, that's just that's one of my favorite things to see in comic books. I love super cool science fiction-y submarines, and I love super cool science fiction-y spaceships. Especially old school rocket style spaceships. Those are just, it's that touch of nostalgia, that touch of classic. Uh, They're so awesome. Like I said, this submarine is no exception. It is, however, unfortunately, the submarine of Atuma. Atuma is a villain to Namor the Submariner, which in and of itself is a little interesting because for most of his, we'll call it current Marvel career, current being the 1960s for the moment. But for most of his current Marvel career, Namor himself has really been a villain and only recently the focus of his own book or splitting of Tales to Astonish. Atuma is a basically a barbarian Atlantean. He and his people are basically descendants of a splinter Atlantean group. So they're a little bit different than, say, Namor's followers, Namor's Atlanteans. But for the most part, they're basically the same species. Atuma very quickly here gives Janet a rundown of his plan. He has made what he calls a tidal expander, which is slowly causing Earth's 
oceans to rise, and eventually it will flood all of the Earth, allowing he and his men to conquer the Earth. And whatever few humans survive, they will become his slaves. And we get this really awesome, more than half-page panel of Atuma's vision for destruction as a flood washes through what I can assume is New York City, but any general big city on the coast, where water is washing over buildings and buildings are being taken out by the water. And it's just a really cool-looking panel. But Atuma's convinced that Wasp is some kind of spy. As a result, he imprisons her so that she can't go and warn the humans that Atuma's coming. Now, because Atuma and his men are Atlantean, they don't breathe air. Not really. They actually really breathe water. They can breathe in a very, 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 very humid air. But in general, they breathe in water. So they put Wasp in basically a giant glass bell jar that is full of air so that she can breathe, but she's still kept prisoner. What they don't realize is that she is in fact Wasp, although Wasp and Atuma have met before. I failed to mention earlier that Wasp was actually not in her Wasp costume, she says, because she and Hank were off working on research projects that she didn't bring her Wasp costume with her. She's actually traveling in her bathing suit, which, although it's kind of dumb, it at least fits with the story, so I just kind of run with it. As such, Atuma doesn't recognize her as being the Wasp, so when he and his men imprison her in this bell jar, Wasp is able to fairly easily escape by shrinking down to her Wasp size. She makes her way to the radio and signals the Avengers. There is just so much awesome in this. I really enjoy the fact that Wasp in this issue, especially in this portion that we just covered, is really working on her own. Hank got left back on the ship. Wasp is off. She's taking care of business. She gets captured. She escapes. She calls for help. All of it on her own. Doesn't need Hank. Doesn't need anyone else. She's just better written than we've seen her in the past. Far more independent before, when she was actually on the Avengers, she was constantly involving herself with what Hank wanted, or what Hank thought, or how she looked, or things like that. And we don't see any of that here. So I would absolutely say that this is a step up for the character. Of course, Wasp's original plan was to contact the Avengers, and now because she's been captured, and because Atuma has this plan that he has so conveniently revealed to her, she needs to contact the Avengers now more than ever. So that's exactly who she gets a hold of, and she transmits a message to Captain America, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch. Hawkeye's nowhere to be found. Hawkeye has gone to a fancy nightclub, is hanging out with all the showgirls, and basically living it up. Kind of obnoxious. Very much self-absorbed at this particular moment. He's very involved in how he's a hero and, and what that can do for him. It's really to the detriment of his teammates because they have to leave without him. He's not responding to any of the communications they're sending him. So the Avengers now have to go into fight a fairly unknown enemy to them, and they have to do it a man down. I call BS on that. That's nonsense. At any rate, the Avengers leave Hawkeye a message using their brand new communication method. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Here's even more choreography of how Hawkeye is going to screw this up later. And then they take off in some kind of jet plane. I realize I just said earlier how much I love spaceships and things like that. I'm really looking forward, though, to the day that the Avengers get their Quinjet. These early days, when they have a different aircraft every month, drives me a little crazy. And quite honestly, the Quinjet is such a staple of the Avengers. It's one of the few pieces I'm still waiting on to fall into place to really be like, yeah, this is it. This is how the Avengers are supposed to be. 
we're close. We're very close. We've got the mansion. We've got, you know, most of the team introduced. Now, all I'm really waiting for here, I think, is the Quinjets and a couple of other team members. And I think we'll be in really great shape. For now, the Avengers are going to use the Plane of the Month Club. Now, given the aircraft's current speed, the Avengers figure they'll be where Janet is in about 15 minutes. And 15 minutes later, as they approach the location, their aircraft is suddenly grabbed from below and drug under into Atuma's submarine. Being the Avengers, they jump into action at this point and immediately engage with Atuma's men. Now, this is not the first time that the Avengers have fought Atlanteans. They fought some of Namor's guards way back when in issue number four, but it's been a while. And like I said, Atuma's group is a little bit different than like Namor's group. It's actually kind of funny to me that Atuma and Namor are enemies because it seems to me that their goals are very much in line with one another. Atuma just seems to be a little bit more extreme. Namor wants to conquer the surface world. Atuma wants to do so by flooding it, by destroying humanity. They have similar ideology, but not quite. It's one of those very fine lines where they could be friends under the right circumstances. I think the fact that Atuma also wants to claim the throne of Atlantis probably is what is really driving them to be enemies. But in this case, I think their ideologies about the surface world line up pretty closely. So when the Avengers engage Atuma's troops, they really put up quite the fight. Because Atuma's troops breathe water, they're actually in this super humid air. So the Avengers are basically slowly suffocating, for lack of a better term, almost drowning in air. They're quickly having a hard time breathing. If you've ever walked around on a super, super humid day somewhere... I've lived in New York City, and I live in southeastern Virginia right now, not very far from a swamp. We get extremely humid days, and it is just oppressive to breathe. It, it, it takes actual effort. So I can only imagine if they cranked up the humidity an order or two of magnitude from what I've experienced, how difficult it would be to breathe. Almost impossible. Given all of this, the Avengers make quite the showing, especially Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch manages to use her hex powers to great effect before she is eventually knocked unconscious. And Quicksilver, I gotta give him a lot of credit on this fight because first off, he kind of duels a little bit with one of Atuma's men. And then he actually goes toe-to-toe for quite a while with Atuma himself. And Atuma, much like Namor, is exceptionally strong, especially in his native environment. You know, to be perfectly honest, at one point I almost thought Quicksilver was going to gain the upper hand, even though he has this massive disadvantage of not being able to breathe properly. But unfortunately, he's unable to, so all of the Avengers have been taken out by Atuma. One thing I want to point out here is that Atuma has this hat hood looking thing on his head. It looks somewhere like a cross between rabbit ears and a coxcomb. For those of you who don't know, a coxcomb is a jester's hat. It also kind of looks like Louise from Bob's Burgers. She has that rabbit ear hat she always wears. It kind of looks like that, but it goes around his entire head and under his chin. It's a very odd look for him, especially when everything else is gills and fins and things like that. This really looks like rabbit ears. One would think that now that Atuma has the Avengers captured, everything would work out just fine for him. But it's not actually the case here. 
Instead, Atuma's commanders come and tell him that some of his men are starting to think that maybe he's a little bit of a coward because, yes, he vanquished the Avengers, but he did so when they were at such a disadvantage that it really wasn't a fight. It really didn't take a whole lot of effort. So Atuma's grand claim on things really doesn't mean much of anything. Atuma decides he's not going to tolerate this, so he'll fight the Avengers again, only this time he'll give them air helmets, like they gave Wasp earlier, and then he'll let them fight. It actually kind of reminds me a little bit of how Kang was called out by his commanders for not following their code, only this time for Atuma, it's for cowardice. Now, Atuma's reaction is a little bit different than Kang's, in that Atuma gives in to his commanders, where Kang basically demands that his commanders apologize for the insult, and then his commanders turned on him. Now, having just seen the Avengers fight Atuma at a disadvantage, I'm a little disappointed in their performance against Atuma when they're at their fighting best. Don't get me wrong, they put up a pretty good fight. But as well as Quicksilver fought Atuma before, all three Avengers are getting thrashed around pretty legitimately by Atuma this time around. And I just would have expected better, given their their first performance. Now, we do get to see Atuma using his really cool sword. It's totally impractical. It's kind of a trident sword, but it's really awesome looking, and I kind of want one. I don't know what I'd do with it, but to be fair, that's a lot of the stuff I own. I don't really know what I'm going to do with that, too, so why not have a trident sword? Now, like I said, this is actually a really cool fight, although somewhat disappointing performance by the Avengers. However, we see an example of Scarlet Witch using her powers where, unlike before, when her powers have inadvertently adversely affected her teammates, like when the Avengers were fighting Swordsman and some of her powers ricocheted off something and hit Quicksilver instead. Not quite like that. In this particular case, Scarlet Witch's powers work the way they were intended. They don't strictly backfire, but they have very unintended consequences. She damages a pillar in order to try and what looks like crush Atuma beneath it. But what she doesn't realize is that with that pillar damaged, the room they're in begins to fill with water. While they have their air helmets on, it's a limited supply of air. And now they have to fight Atuma underwater. Again, he is Atlantean. So they have gone from not necessarily their best showing, but being on fairly even footing to placing themselves at a rather considerable disadvantage. This is not a good situation for the Avengers to be in. But for the moment, this is where we're going to leave most of our Avengers. But like I mentioned, there is the satisfaction of watching Hawkeye screw up. Having finished his night on the town, Hawkeye comes back to the Avengers mansion and realizes that something must have happened because nobody's here. And so Hawkeye goes to check their new message communication system and realizes he has no idea how to work it. He has to go off somewhere else in Tony Stark's mansion and finds a device called a subliminal recall inducer to try and bring the memories from his subconscious and hopefully remember how to check his messages. Thankfully, here in the present, we don't need that to check our voicemail. Hawkeye does. So as Hawkeye activates this machine and he slips into a deep coma, we see a mysterious figure looking in on Hawkeye. So not only does Hawkeye not know how to help his friends, but because of his actions, he has left himself open to some mysterious figure, which we can only assume is only going to make him further pay for his poor behavior. And that's our issue. Overall, I, I enjoy this issue. This is a lot of fun. It's the first of what is basically a three-part story, and it is the first issue to help us bring back Giant Man and Wasp. 
having their own book canceled. Well, I shouldn't say canceled. Having them taken out of that book in place of other characters, namely Hulk and Namor. Giant Man and Wasp have been without a home for a little while, and it's time for them to come back to Avengers. And nowadays we primarily think of Hank Pym and Wasp as Avengers. I say Hank Pym because he goes through like a dozen different code names. But we've already been at two. By the time he comes back, he'll also be known as Goliath. Uh, he's going to have Yellow Jacket. He's going to have all kinds of other names. Point is, it's Hank Pym. So they're really coming home, and this is where they're going to stay for a while, and this is what they're going to be best known for. So that's really fun. It's also a fun, action-filled issue. Like I mentioned, Wasp is much better written than she has been in most of her previous appearances. She has a specific mission, she deals with problems, escapes on her own, and she's acting without Hank Pym's involvement. Which, although I get the romantic connection there, it certainly allows for some interesting stories. I've also fairly consistently felt it has held her character up because she is far too obsessed and concerned with Hank and how he feels and what he thinks. We're also seeing in this issue an interesting idea of cowardice being explored. It plays very much into Atuma's image as a tough guy that he can't be seen as a coward, which is why he takes on the Avengers that second time. If you think about it though, Captain America's also a bit of a tough guy, but because of his actions and the way he carries himself, it makes a significant difference. We look at Atuma as a tough guy as a villain, and we look at Captain America as a tough guy as a paragon. In general, it really has to do with how they approach things. Effectively, both men approach the concept of bravery, or in Atuma's case, really the lack of cowardice. The two states are more or less equivalent, if not exactly the same, but it's how each group gets there. The Avengers approach it from the idea of bravery in the face of danger, that they have to overcome fear and that nagging sense of self-preservation to put themselves in harm's way to be brave. Atuma takes it from the point of view that he needs to not be weak, that fear in and of itself is weakness, whether you act on it or not. If you feel fear, you're weak. And therefore, by not being afraid, you are not being a coward, you are being brave. The Avengers overcome fear. They acknowledge it and they move beyond it. Both effectively achieve the same goal, but the method by which they approach it and execute it makes all the difference between a hero and a villain. Now to answer a listener question. This question comes from user Tugboat, and Tugboat wants to know what I think about the female Thor and, generally speaking, what the reaction has been. So, for those of you who don't know, there are now two Thors in the Marvel Universe. There is Thor Odin's son, and there is a female Thor. Thor Odin's son is the Thor we know and love from the Avengers, and who has been Thor since the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics. During Original Sin, Nick Fury whispered something to Thor Odin's son, and suddenly Thor became unworthy and unable to wield Mjolnir. After the events of Original Sin, one of the things we see is a new individual pick up Mjolnir, someone else who is worthy. That person is our new female Thor, who is later revealed to be none other than Thor's old love interest, Dr. Jane Foster. Now, Jane, at this moment in time, is not doing so well. She is actually going through chemotherapy for a rather severe bout with cancer. One of the really interesting things about the female Thor storyline is that when Jane becomes Thor, the transformation purges all of the toxins out of her body. And when I say toxins, I actually mean the chemotherapy drugs. If you don't realize, chemotherapy is actually basically you poison the cancer. 
every time she turns into Thor, she is effectively removing all of her cancer treatment. It's a really interesting storyline. I'm a few issues behind, I'll admit. However, I have really enjoyed Jane Foster's Thor. One, I think the series is very well written. I think the character is extremely interesting. One of the best parts is actually her relationship with Thor Odin's son. At first, Thor is enraged that someone else has picked up his hammer. But as time goes on, Thor comes to understand that whomever is the new Thor, and he doesn't actually realize it's Jane Foster, but whomever the person is, they are worthy. And it's a really great relationship and back and forth between the two. As for the public reception, I know there are some naysayers out there, let's be blunt, some people who do not like a female Thor. Generally speaking though, Thor has become one of Marvel's best-selling books. It is doing very well for the company, which tells me that people are really enjoying it. There will always be people who don't like change or don't want to see women in positions of power like this. Whatever their reasoning may be, it's their reasons. But overall, that doesn't seem to be the generally accepted public opinion. So, Tugboat, I hope that answered your question. Now, before we go, I do have one short announcement, and that is once again that I will be hosting the Infinity Gems, a brief history panel at Tidewater Comic Con in beautiful Virginia Beach, Virginia. The convention is May 13th and 14th out at the Virginia Beach Convention Center near the oceanfront. And the panel will be on Saturday from 12 to 12.45 in room 4D4C. I am very excited about this. I have just completed my reading list, 196 issues, and I'm going to make it brief. I have 45 minutes to talk. We'll see what we can do. Please come out, check it out. Tidewater Comic Con, it's a great local show if you're in the area. If you're not in the Hampton Roads area and you can come out and check out the show, I highly recommend it. I've been to every Tidewater Comic Con so far, and I have loved every minute of every show I have been to. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we'll be continuing our story with Avengers number 27, Four Against the Flood Tide. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.